All right, well, we're starting a new series today, as Pam mentioned, continuing the thought of all in, but what about, um, hey, good, good result in the soccer yesterday, I feel. Uh, the Edgeworth Eagles, under seven, Division four, had their first win of the season. 7-2, Carter Purcell, leading goal scorer with five goals. So we were happy in our family. Uh, there was no video ref involved, which was good, because they don't really seem to contribute anything anyway. But uh, at least in our family, we had a good win yesterday in the soccer. And uh, as I said, we're starting a new series today. Our theme for the year as a church is about living an all-in life, which uh, I had the opportunity to share at a young adults event on Friday night for the Salvation Army and and encouraged and reminded that our all-in life begins now. It's not something that will happen in our future or happen at some point in time when a door of opportunity opens, but it's something that, that we are positioned and purposed for in our life now. And the way I like to think about it is that if we are alive and breathing at this very moment, which I am sure we all are if we're here, then we have a a responsibility as people who have given their lives to Christ, accepted the job description of being a Christian, we have a responsibility for the people that are alive in this decade. And my personal conviction is that one day we will be held, or I will be held either responsible or thanked for my contribution to the decade that we live in. And so for me, that's the importance of living an all-in life. It happens here and now, not one day in the future. And welcome back, Luke and Jess also. I'm getting a note from the front. Where are they? There you go. Hey, guys. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Good to see you. Good to see you. So we're going to talk about Noah today as as, a, as the start of our series of looking at characters or, or heroes, people in the Word of God, and how their life demonstrates to us something that we can grab from it that, that helps us to live an all-in life. Now, it's really easy when you hear the word Noah, and I, I was just sharing with Joel, like, man, why do I have to preach about Noah? Because it's such an easy story and one that we've heard so many times. I mean, if you're like me and you've, you've started that, I'm going to read the Bible in a year campaign for many years, particularly as a teenager. And, you, you know, it's in the first six to eight chapters of the Bible. So the first few days while you're living out your New Year's resolution, you do pretty well. So I think I've read this story hundreds and hundreds of times and heard it. And it's really hard sometimes to actually not tune out to what I call Sunday school-itis, those stories that we've heard for decades, some of us, and just think, oh, well, I know the story of Noah, I'm going to move on. And it hit me the other day, I was driving home from Sydney and I, I stopped at the, the servo on the freeway to fuel up my car and it was really busy and, and I, I did the quick clean-up of the front seat from a road trip, so I threw out the coffee cup, the water bottle, all those kind of things. And when I came back to my car to get in it, to move it, uh, I couldn't find my keys. And what I had done was I had thrown them out with the rubbish. And so the reason I was moving my car before paying for my fuel was because the service station was 
it was packed. There were people lined up everywhere. And so there's me pulling open the bin and scooping rubbish out, trying to find my keys. But, and I don't intend this to be a pun, but it's so easy sometimes when we look at a character or a hero from the Bible like Noah or reference that story to just quickly scoop everything up and throw it out and actually forget to get the keys, the important thing that we can find in it because we read it with such an abridged version. When we say Noah, we think, yeah, we know the story, bad world, good Noah, builds a boat, saves the animals, rainbow, all good. And to me, that's like scooping up the rubbish off my front seat and just throwing it in the bin without even wondering if there's a key in there or something that I actually need for my life that's really, really important. Also, the thing about Noah is that it's probably one of the most argued and discussed accounts from the Word of God I have found in my life. You know, we can handle... Uh, fire coming down on a mountaintop, we can handle Jonah being eaten by a big fish, we can even even skip past Balaam having a chat with a donkey on a road one day, but somehow you talk about Noah and it creates such a great discussion, did it really happen, was it a global flood, was it localised, what's all the science behind it, scientists have done their part, you can jump online and do some research and it, it's not long before you'll find the, the experiments or the, I guess, the engineering to work out how big it was, whether it would float, if it could store all the animals on there, all these kind of things. Archaeologists have done their part to try and find it. You can see drone footage and satellite footage of them flying over mountains in Turkey where they can point out depressions in the land that shape the size and the dimensions of the ark that Noah built. There's even a video I found of these explorers from Hong Kong and they're finding their way through a cave in a mountain in Turkey and there's like big timber structures in there that they're saying is Noah's ark. It's one of those great things that we, we love to argue about whether or not it really happened. But again, that's something that we can do in like scooping up the rubbish and throwing it out without even stopping to think, is there something important in that that God can still teach us about whether the arguments are valid or not about living our life of all in? And the other challenge to get through this week is that Noah is such an easy example. I mean, we've had a full service today, so I could probably give you five really quick points and just call it done. Because we all know the answers to does Noah live an all-in life? Well, of course he does. He gave up everything to build an ark and save the world. What are the examples of his life? Well, when you live an all-in life, it's going to cost you a lot. It might take you a lot of time. It took him 100 years to build it. That you can be called to an all-in life at any point in your life. He was 500 years old when he started building an ark. It's not what I'm planning to do when I'm 500 years old. When you live an all-in life, you can be heavily ridiculed and laughed at. When you live an all-in life, it can take patience that goes beyond understanding. They had closed the door of the ark and it was seven days before it started raining. Seven days of sitting around playing Monopoly with your family, but also wondering if you got it right after 100 years and seven days before the first drop of rain even started. There's so many things just in Noah's life that we all 
already know the answer to. But this morning, what I would like us to do, just for the next 15 minutes, is to put ourselves into the context of Noah's life, his family's life, the way it must have felt. Because it's really easy for us, thousands of years later, to look at those points, think about Noah's life, when we already know the outcome of the story. Obviously, it was successful because we are all here. When you go to a zoo, there are a vast array of animals. He did his job. We know the answer to the question. We know the outcome of the story. But he didn't in that time. He had to trust God in situations that seemed ridiculous. I need you to build an ark in the middle of a desert on top of a mountain. And I'm going to do this thing called rain because it hadn't rained before the flood. That was something significant as well. All these things about his life that we can have a look at when we jump into the context of what it must have been like for Noah and the seven others in his family that joined with him when they had no idea the end of the story, the plan that God had and how it would work out. Because we do look at the, the abridged version of the story so often. Bad world, good Noah, built an ark, saved the animals, rainbow comes, lived happily ever after. And we miss some things in that as well, like a common misconception in the, the kind of children's Bible version of the story is that there are only two of every animal on the ark. It's not actually true. The Bible says that they walked on in pairs But God actually told Noah, in particular with clean animals, to take seven pairs of clean animals. Clean being the animals that the the Israelites, the Hebrews, were allowed to eat. They had been approved for eating, like lambs and cattle and and lots of other things that, that they are allowed to eat. Unfortunately, bacon, no. But God told Noah to take all these animals. So let's say lambs, for instance. There were 14 lambs that went onto the ark. 14 little sheepies walked their way up and got onto the ark, which was really, really good because Noah and his family, his wife, his three sons and their wives, they spent one year in total on the ark. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but it was a year before doors up to doors down. Now, a year is eight birthdays for eight people. It's a lot of family celebrations. It's a lot of uh, Mrs. Noah's Sunday roast dinner. So everyone on the boat was very glad that there were 14 sheep taken and not only two because it'd be really hard to repopulate the earth with sheep if you really enjoyed lamb roast on a Sunday. But can you imagine the context as well that these sheep were thinking? Not that sheep think that much, but here they are. These sheep think that they have won the lottery. They get some time on the upper deck and they realize the world's flooded. We have won the sheep lottery. We are the last 14 sheep that are left on earth. We thought we were coming into this new designed barn that Noah had. Little did we know that we now are the last 14 sheep on earth. We have won the lottery And then it's one of the boys' birthday. Mrs. Noah comes in at Sunday roast time. These poor sheep that have thought that they have won the lottery and are living the best life that they can. And suddenly, 
uh, their numbers are slowly disappearing. They're not going for a walk because they're not coming back. And the family are enjoying a great lunch. And so this goes on for a year. But I want us to think for a moment that after 12 months have passed and God says it's now time to leave the ark and that door goes down, consider how it would feel for this. You've just now seen God deliver on everything that he said he would do. And Noah leading the charge, walking off the the door or the gangplank, whatever it's called, the moment that his feet land on that mountaintop, at that point in time, he is the only living, breathing, walking, land-dwelling creature on the entire planet. For that very second, while he stands there alone, he is the only person that is standing on the planet, the only living creature, no animal, no other human is standing on the earth at that point in time. And what we lose in our abridged version of the story of Noah is what he does at this very point. Because we see the story in our children's Bibles and in our kind of we know this a thousand times mentality, we know the end of the story of bad world, good Noah, builds a boat, saves the animals, rainbow comes, happily ever after. But when we gloss over and scoop the rubbish off the front seat of the car and miss an important key of what Noah does first when he leaves the ark, and it says in uh, Genesis 8, verse 18, so Noah, his wife, and his sons, And their wives left the boat, and all of the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat pair by pair. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. The first thing that Noah does when he steps off that ark is to build an altar and give an offering back To God. Now, let me give you my suggestion on how that whole deal went down. So, Noah and his family, they jump off the ark, they're standing there and they're watching all the animals come off, waving through the giraffes and the rhinoceros and the elephants and the bunny rabbits and whatever it might be are coming off the ark, and then come the lambs. Now, these lambs are beyond stoked now because they not only won the first lottery, they have now hit the jackpot. Because not only did they get saved from destruction, they now realize that they have been saved from Mrs. Noah and her Sunday roast. There's not 14 of them anymore, there's less. And as they're coming down about to bounce off as sheep do into the new land to populate and, and explore and, and find a new home, one of Noah's sons says, Dad, hang on a second. Don't you think we should keep a couple of those lambs? Uh, there's not really any other places, uh, there's no other animals on the earth. Remember, we're the only ones that are here. Before we let them go, What if we just hang on to a couple of them? You know what mom does with the rosemary and the gravy on Sundays. Do you really want to let that go bouncing down the hill? 
This is like our food. Shouldn't we keep a couple of these lambs? Let a few go and multiply and be fruitful. Praise the Lord that they did because I love lamb. But shouldn't we keep a couple of them safe here just for Sunday lunches and you know a few birthdays coming up and things like that? And Noah says, yeah, let's do that. Hang on to a few of them. Keep some of those animals that we have been set aside and allowed to eat and let's just pop them in a holding pen for a moment. And that was in the view of Noah's wife and all his sons. That was the first instance of family meal planning that ever occurred. Keeping some of the animals aside. But Noah spins a story around and says, okay, let's build an altar. Let's get some rocks, not for a barbecue, or sort of, but we are going to give an offering to the Lord. We are going to sacrifice these animals and give them back to him. Now, Noah's sons would obviously have rejected that idea. would have said, come on, Dad, we've already named them. This one's Coles. This one's Woolworths. This fluffy one over here is your local IGA. This is our meal plan. This is what we need. Don't you realize there is nothing else for us to eat? If we let some lambs go, some cattle go, and we keep some for an offering. But Noah, after trusting God for 100 years and one week now of his life, does not see provision, he does not see a safety plan, a backup plan, he sees an opportunity to give back to God what God has blessed his life with, an opportunity to continue his life of living all in and to trust God by giving back to him the only option that they seem to have to live For the rest of their life. In verse 21, it goes on to say, And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. You see, the key that we can miss in the story of Noah so easily is that the sacrifice that Noah made is actually what caught the attention of God to bring the covenant that he would make with mankind. Our bridge story of evil world, good Noah, save the animals, bring on the rainbow, misses the most important part Of this story, and that is what caught the attention of God the sweet aroma of a sacrifice and an offering that was made back to Him. Noah took what God had already given him, what God had blessed his life with, what God had brought into his life for the purpose of provision, of sustaining his family, of living a long life 
of fulfilling even the calling that he had to be fruitful and multiply in the rest of the world, he took that and he gave it back to God as an offering and a sacrifice. And the Bible tells us at that moment, that sweet aroma of sacrifice, not even obedience to what God had told Noah to do, but when the sweet aroma of sacrifice caught God's attention, he gives the covenant that is symbolized by the rainbow. Chapter 9, verse 1, Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, all the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror, and I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food, just as I have given you grain and vegetables. But you must never, and he goes on to give this covenant, this assurance to mankind that he will never do what he has just done again, that he will never destroy the earth by water. But is the sacrifice, the offering that Noah made that caught the attention of God for him to give that covenant to us. So here's a question to pose today, a challenge that we can consider. What has God put in our life that we may call provision, blessing from God, opportunity from God, one of the many good things that come from above, gifts and talents in our life that we can see are God's provision to do the work that he has for us to live our best life, to live an abundant life, to do things for him. What has he put in our life that he is calling us to give back to him as an offering and as a sacrifice that can be a sweet aroma to God? It would have been so easy for Noah and his family to say, hang on. This food that is gleefully bouncing down the mountain right now was provided to me by God. It was given to me to do the good works that he set aside from me. But Noah still made the decision that the most important part to him of an all-in life was not only the obedience of doing what God told him to do, but giving back to him what God had already given him. Because the interesting thing that happens in that covenant agreement that God makes is he says, these things that I have given to you, I am now going to make them be fearful and tremble before you and I'm going to put them in your power. That's a big part of that covenant that agreement that God makes. These animals from this point on are now going to live in fear and be scared of you. They're going to tremble and I am going to put them in your power, in your control. You know, that's why giving an offering back to God of the things that he has already given to us 
is such an important and critical thing to do. You think about the example of why we give tithes and offerings every week. The provision that God has brought into our life, our backup plan for the future, our finances, our planning, it's really easy to keep that in our control. It's sometimes and often and nearly every time more difficult to take a portion of that and give it back to God. But the question is, do we want to live in a position where finances are fearful and tremble with us? That they're in our control and our power? Or do we want to live without offering them back to God where we live in fear and tremble about finances? Where they have power over us? That is the example that Noah gives us here. The provision that comes from God, the offering, the gifts and the talents, whatever we want to call it. Our responsibility is to give them back to God in a sacrificial offering that captures his attention to fulfill and remind him of that covenant that he made with Noah. Not that we would get the opportunity to see a pretty rainbow after every storm, after every day of rain. But that whatever we give back to him, whatever we give up and take our control of and give back to him, that he will take away the fear and he will take away the power of it in our life. And that's the challenge I want to leave us with this week. Romans 12 in the message translation, verse 1 says, So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. This is our weekly challenge as North Lakes, as Holly and Adam join us on stage. I want us to spend just a couple of minutes as these guys lead us in worship again, just reflecting on a simple question. What is God asking me to surrender back to him? What have I painted in my life as provision as opportunity that comes from God. And those things, thankfully, do come into our life each and every day. But what am I holding on to as my backup plan, as my fail-safe for the future? What am I wanting to keep in my pen as my planning? Because it has power over me because I am fearful of what it would mean if I am lost. So what is God asking us to surrender back to him? That he has already given our life, whether it be finances, talents, occupations, ministries, missions, friendships, relationships. What do we today need to decide that the next step in being all in for him is to give it as an offering 
back to him. Because as Paul said in verse 1, Cam, here's what I want you to do. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Not your boxed in couple of hours on a Sunday morning. Each and every day. Your everyday, ordinary life. When we sleep, when we eat, when we're going to work, walking around life and place it before God as an offering. So after I pray for the next few minutes, can we spend some time with God? Ask Him the question, what do we need to surrender back to Him? To live an all-in life and see Him move. Lord, we thank You that Your Word is always true, that Events from thousands of years ago can still speak to us today. I thank you, Lord, that you bless each and every one of us, that you do provide for us. You give us an abundant life. Your word even tells us that every good thing comes from above. Everything in our life that we have is because you have given it to us. So, Lord, in this moment, in these next few minutes, would you speak to our hearts? Refresh our hearts, renew our minds as to what we have fixed our grip on tightly that we can release and give back to you in an offering, knowing from the example of Noah when we can peer back thousands of years and know that when we trust you, everything still works out great. That when we give control back to you, when we offer back to you, when we take our hands off it, that you always seem to make it work better than we ever hoped or dreamed of because you are God and you are good. Lord, open our hearts in these next few minutes. May we hear from your Holy Spirit today as we close. Lord, we surrender and we give our life back to you. Amen.